morning, everyone. How's everyone doing today? Welcome to church, everyone. I am Pastor Ryan. If you're our guest today, we are so delighted to have you uh, worship with us. If you're online watching, welcome. Yes, welcome to Jersey Sunday. Also celebrating Valentine's Day. We have Team Love here for those who are not sports people. Awesome. Glad to have you guys. Um, Yes, we are. So really quickly before I jump into the, the message, um, I want to just talk about the Easter egg hunt again really quickly. Just add on to what Dylan said. Um, the Easter egg hunt, it's going to be a community event. We're, we're working really hard to try to invite the entire community to come out. And that sounds like I'm exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating. We're going to put invitations in, in the schools and we're going to do newspaper ads and we're going to try to do radio spots. Like we're trying to get everybody to come out because um, we want to let them know how much we love them. So um, we're going to need, it is going to be an all hands on deck uh, event like, like Dylan has said. And so um, we would love for you to find a place to fit in uh, at this Easter extravaganza. Like I said, uh, like Dylan said, uh, next week uh, signups are going to start. So just be thinking about that, praying about um, how you want to serve. So um, we are concluding our spiritual discipline series called The Life You've Always Wanted. And um, we're ending on a spiritual discipline that's um, special to me. It's near to my heart. Um, and it's talking about the Word of God. Um, the Word of God is, is foundational to my, my faith in Jesus, to, to my understanding of who God is. And, and I'm just so excited to be able to kind of share my thoughts about this today, that just kind of the thoughts that God, God put on my heart to share with you. But uh, before I dive into the scriptures, I, as is customary, I wanted to share a little story with you. So about five years ago, uh, Robin, uh, Titus, and I were at my uh, brother-in-law's house. So Robin's twin brother, we were uh, at his house in Kansas. This was before Ezra was born, so it's just the three of us. We're there, and Titus was three, and he's jumping on the trampoline at, at uh, Dustin. Dustin is Robin's brother. Jumping on the trampoline at Dustin's house with his cousins, Jackson, who was 11 at the time, Jaslyn was seven, and Jaron was four. And they're all jumping on the trampoline, and they're bumping into each other and, you know, laughing and having a good time. Jackson, the 11-year-old, the oldest, he gets this brilliant idea where he's going to lay down and start rolling back and forth, and he invites the kids to start jumping over him. So I'm like, okay, that's, that's cool. And then they start getting, you know, kind of crazier with it, and I issued a warning. I was like, hey, guys just know, like, there's a chance that somebody could get hurt if you keep going. Like, okay, you know, just kind of to shut me up. So, like, all right, I'll let them go because a friend of mine once advised me, like, it's, it's okay to allow kids to experience natural consequences sometimes. So, uh, this was one of those moments. So, I just sat back and I just watched as they continued to do this. Well, Jackson, the 11-year-old, he kind of got wise, like, saw that it was getting crazy. So, he got off the trampoline and he went, like, somewhere else. So Jaron, the four-year-old, he took Jackson's place and starts rolling back and forth. And so Titus and Jaslyn, they're jumping over. They're next to each other, jumping over him at the same time. Well, like kids do, they try to up the ante and they try to make things even more fun. So what uh, Titus and Jaslyn started doing is they started jumping over him at the same time, but in opposite directions. And it kept getting crazier and crazier until it happened. Smack! Titus and Jaslyn hit each other in midair and fell straight down on top of Jaron. <laughs> and they all started wailing. And the first one to come to me was Jaslyn. And she had this bloody fat lip and like, 
you know, I'm like hugging her and I'm sorry, you know, get down. And Titus comes over and he's holding his head. His head is like, is, is like a little bl- bloody where Jaslyn's teeth hit. And, and so he's like crying and wailing. Well, I'll give him a hug. And then Jaron comes over. He's holding his back because they landed on top of his, you know, like all this or whatever. And, and I was thinking about this, this story and I was thinking about how no matter the warning, no matter how well I communicated the warning, they didn't want to listen to my wisdom and experience. Even though I had perspective they didn't have, they didn't trust what I had to say. They didn't trust the, the experience that, that I had. They experienced the natural consequences of not trusting my wisdom and experience. Have you ever experienced something like this before? where you have perspective that somebody else doesn't see, you have wisdom that somebody else doesn't have, and you're trying to save them from a whole bunch of heartache, your, your kids or your husband or your wife or your coworker or your friend or whatever, you have this experience or you have perspective that they don't have, you're trying to help them, but they don't, they don't want to hear it. They, they don't want to hear anything you have to say because they just want to do what they want to do. Have you ever experienced that before? I think probably all of us have. Maybe you've been on the other side. You've been on the side where you're doing something kind of crazy, you're doing something unwise or whatever, and somebody has experience that you don't have or they have perspective that you don't have and they're trying to warn you, hey, don't, like, be careful, don't go down this road, and you just kind of, you kind of push them off and you kind of ignore them because you want to do what you want to do. I think we've all been in a spot like that. We've all been on both sides of that before. We all have instances like this. I've, I've talked about this before, that in high school I dated this girl for two years, and, and I had a lot of wise people in my life that outside the, outside the, the situation, they were giving me really good advice. You need, to, you need to dump this girl. You need to get her out of your life because it's only going to end badly. But I wanted to do what I wanted to do, so I didn't listen to anybody else's wisdom or experience. I didn't trust what anybody else had to say because I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. And it ended badly. It ended with the worst heartache I've ever experienced in my life. And so um, I think a, a lot of times this can happen in our relationship with Jesus too. I think it can happen in our relationship with Jesus too. Jesus, sometimes he, he says things in his word that, that we don't want to hear. So we convince ourselves, oh, that wasn't God. Or we, we hear things in his word that don't make sense to us. So like, okay, that doesn't apply to me now. Or, or this is obsolete this, this, this doesn't matter to me anymore. And I, I just think, I think that's the wrong way to go about approaching God's word. God gave us his word so that we can first know him and then second, navigate life the way he intended us to. I think many times our trust in God is dependent on our comfort and it's dependent on the things that he can do for us and it's not dependent on his word, which it should be. Our trust in him should be based on his word and not on how we feel. I believe God is calling us to a higher level of trust in him today. He's calling us to a higher level of trusting who he is. Now, the thing I love about scripture is it's full of stories, and the stories are full of principles that teach us how, how, how to live life the best way, how to live life the way God intended us to live it. And so I want to dive into the scriptures today and see what the scriptures have to teach us about the word, about scripture as a spiritual discipline to help us grow in our relationship with him. But first, let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word and that you, it's a gift 
I see it truly as a gift from you. And I just pray, God, that you would open our hearts to receive what you have today, to receive what you have to say to us today. I pray, God, that our, our spirits would be open, that we would be changed from the inside out by your spirit today, God. We love you. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, I have a certain philosophy when I preach. Um, when I preach or teach God's words, and it comes from Scripture, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8 says this, They read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. Scripture is not supposed to be mystical or, or like mysterious, right? Like God gave us his word to help, him under, to help us understand him better. And so, um, like, God wants us to understand it. He wants us to know what it means, and that's my goal every time I preach, is to try to help us understand Scripture better, not just know what it says, because there's a lot of people out there that want to tell you what Scripture says, right? Well, the Bible says this, and they use it as, as a, a weapon to cut you down. The Bible says that, and they use it to, to tear people down. I don't want to just know what the Bible says. I want us to understand what the Bible means. And that's why I always preach from a perspective of there and then. To understand the words of the Bible, we have to understand the world of the Bible. If we're going to apply it here and now, we have to understand what it meant there and then. So if you have a Bible, really quickly, you can open it up to Malachi. And we're going to be bouncing around a little bit. Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. Malachi is the last... It's the last book in the Old Testament. Um, my grandma used to always call him Malachi, the Italian prophet. Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, it says this, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves let out to pasture. Now, this is a really interesting scripture from my perspective. Really quickly, I'm a Bible nerd. Like, I love, love studying scripture. And I love digging and trying to figure out, like, the meaning. Because here's, here's what I know. The authors of the Bible were brilliant. And they write. They're, like, there's so many different layers to the things that they wrote. And literarily, like, it's like scholar-level work. If you ask any theologian or any, like, Bible historian, it's like, it is scholar-level literature. It's, it's up there with anything that's ever been put out as far as, like, how well it's written and that kind of thing. So, I love Scripture, and this verse has always been interesting to me. The Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its ring, wings. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first heard that, I was like, okay, I get a picture of this big beautiful, majestic eagle flying around, right? Like that's, that's, what I, that's what I see. Rise with healing in his wings. But that's not actually what the scripture is referring to at all. It's not literal wings. So um, I just read Malachi 4.2. Uh, immediately I was interested in what the original language said, like what the original word was for wings, Right? So what is the original word wings? I want you to say this with me. Say the word, say kanaf. Say it with me. Say kanaf. Oh, come on, Anchor Church. Say it like you mean it. Say kanaf. Kanaf. The word kanaf is a Hebrew word, and it, uh, uh, it actually is defined as the corner of a garment. The corner of a garment or the hem of a garment. 
So after I did some more digging, I found out that the word wings is it's metaphorical, right? It's, it's a metaphor, it's symbolic. Uh, and it's, it's actually making a reference to an Old Testament law. Now jump to um, Numbers chapter 15. I'm going to read that law for you. Numbers chapter 15, verse 37 says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Throughout the generations to come, you must make tassels for the hems of your clothing and attach them with a blue cord. When you see the tassels, you will remember and obey all the commands the Lord, uh, commands of the Lord instead of following your own desires and defiling yourselves as you are prone to do. The tassels will help you remember that you must obey all commands and be holy to your God. So any good law-abiding Jew would have one of these. Hang on just a second. Any good law-abiding Jew would have one of these. This is called a prayer shawl. Jesus was a law-abiding Jew, so Jesus wore one of these as well. Now, is there anything you notice about this? The tassels with the blue cords, what is this? It's keeping, in, it's, it's keeping the law of Moses, right? Numbers 15. Throughout the generations to come, you must make tassels for the corner of your garments and attach them with a blue cord. They're, they're just trying to keep the law. So any good law-abiding Jew would have a prayer shawl with these tassels attached at the corners. And they even like made it a competition, like the longer the, the tassels, like the better Jew you were, like that kind of thing. Like it, it's kind of silly, but that's like a real thing like they, that they would do. And so um, this, is, this is a part of everyday life, a part of everyday garb for uh, a law-abiding Jew. And... Um, and, and this is what Malachi 4.2 is talking about. The son of righteousness will rise with healing in his kanaf, with healing in his, the corner of his garment. That's what this is talking about. So now I want to connect this, what we just read, to Jesus, okay? Turn, turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 5, and we're going to stay here for a while. Mark chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 21. Sorry, I'm... Not, I'm new at this prayer show thing. keeps falling off. Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21. This is a, a little bit bigger chunk of Scripture, so stick with me, all right? It says, verse 21, Jesus got into the boat, uh, into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue whose name was Jairus arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Pleading fervently with him, my little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus... So she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of the terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came, uh, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. 
And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. So this woman, issue of blood. She's, she's got this, this bleeding um, that's been going on for 12 years. And she comes and see, she touches the hem of Jesus' robe. She touches the kanaf. She touches the tassel. And she's healed. And Jesus says, your faith has made you well. I have a question for you. This might be a little jarring, so brace yourself. What was her faith in or who was her faith in? I submit to you today, her faith was not in Jesus. She didn't know Jesus. Mark chapter 5 verse 27 says she had only heard about Jesus. It's really hard to trust somebody you don't know. It's really hard to trust somebody you've only heard about. So I submit to you today, her faith was not in Jesus. Her faith was in the word of God. Her faith was in the word of God that, that she knew the word of God, she believed the word of God, and she trusted the word of God. She knew what Malachi chapter 4 said. Healing will be found in the hem of the garment of the son of righteousness. And not only did she know it, she believed it. And not only did she believe it, she trusted it. If I can just touch his garment, I'll be healed. If I can just get my hands on it, I know I'll be healed. That's trust. Her trust was in the word of God, that it was, that it was true, that it was reliable. And there are three lessons today that we can learn from the woman in Mark chapter 5. Three lessons that I believe build on each other, and they lead us to grow in the spiritual discipline of growing in the word of God. It's, it's so important. It's so important that we read the Word of God, that we study it, that we interact with it on a daily basis. And I think there's three lessons we can learn from this woman in Mark chapter 5. And the first lesson I want to talk about today is this, knowing the Word of God. Knowing the Word of God. 1 Kings chapter 2 verse 3 says this, Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all His ways. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. These are the words of King David spoken to his son Solomon when David is on his deathbed. David's about to die, and this is what he says. Of all the things David could say to his son, David's turning over an entire kingdom to his son. Solomon's getting ready to become king. David could say anything, and this is what he says. Make sure you know the word of God. Make sure you know the word of God, son. If I, can, if I can leave you with anything, I'm leaving you with that. Know the word of God. Because knowing the word of God is crucial because it's impossible to obey him if you don't know what he said. Psalm chapter 119 verse 15 says this, I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. These are the words of David again as he sings a spiritual song about the word of God. Knowing the word of God is essential to our growth as, as men of God, as women of God. It's essential. We have to know the word, but not just know what it says. We have to know what it means. This is why every week, this is why every week one of our next steps is memorizing a scripture verse. If you've, ever, if you've never noticed that, one of the next steps every time is memorizing Scripture because it's so important that we know what the Word says. How can we be successful in life if we're not growing in our faith? And how can we grow in our faith if we're not keeping His commands and decrees? And how can we keep His commands and decrees if we don't know what He said? We have to know the Word of God. We, it has to be inside of us. It's, it's not just... 
This isn't just to like carry around and like kind of show people that you're a Christian. We have to, David says in Psalm 119 in verse 11, he says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's crucial to know this so that we don't sin against our God. And I'm not talking about knowing other people's thoughts. I'm not talking about knowing other people's interpretations. I'm talking about engaging the Word of God for yourself every single day. When I was 19 years old, I was in a discipleship program called Master's Commission. And uh, one day in Master's Commission, every week we had a chapel. And one, one chapel, we had a guest speaker. And this guest speaker, um, this, this guest speaker um, used a lot of Scripture out of context to attack us, basically. Uh, basically to, to make us feel bad about the way we were, how we weren't godly enough or something. And he used scripture out of context to, to attack us. And every single one of us sitting, listening to this guy could feel like, okay, this is off. There's something wrong here. This isn't right. Like, you know, we could feel it. We could not refute the guy because we didn't know our word. We didn't know the word. We, we, we didn't know what it said. We didn't know what it didn't say. And so we couldn't, we couldn't like defend ourselves. We were helpless as this guy berated us with scripture. I just muted myself. That was the catalyst for me. That was my inspiration to become a student of the word of God myself. So never again is anybody going to be able to do that to me. I'm going to know the word. And, and I, I dove into scripture and I've... Loved it ever since. We have to know the Word of God. We have to know what it says. We have to know what it means. So that's the first lesson we can learn from the woman with the issue of blood. We have to know the Word of God. Learn it. Memorize it. Encounter it for ourselves. The second lesson we can learn from the woman with the issue of blood is this. Believing the Word of God. Believing the Word of God. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 says this. We always thank God that you believed the message we preached. It came from him, and it isn't something made up by humans. You accepted it as God's message, and now he is working in you. It's not enough to know the word of God. That's a great place to start, knowing the word, knowing what it says, knowing what it means. That's a great place to start, but it can't stay there. It can't stay at, I just know the word, because there's a lot of people that know the word of God, Christians and non-Christians. There are people... Most non-Christians that know the Word of God know it so they can try to disprove it. We can't stay at, at, at the place of just knowing the Word of God. We have to move to a point where we believe what it says. We believe that God is who He says He is and that He's going to do everything He said He would do. Christian author Mark Taylor said this about reading Scripture. As readers of the Bible, we must keep in mind that every word is placed there with God's guidance. As readers of the Bible, we must keep in mind that every word is placed there with God's guidance. If every word is placed there with God's guidance, why wouldn't we believe it? And not just the parts that, that make sense to us, all of it, even when it doesn't make sense, all of it. Why wouldn't we believe the words from the mouth of God? We can't just know what the words say. We have to believe what the words say. Now, we live in the digital age. We live in the information age, right? There's a, a new website created every six seconds. That's a real statistic. Every six seconds, there's a new website created. There is information at your fingertips 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. You can find out information on anything. 
Now, because we live in an age where there's so much information out there and there's so much mis- misinformation and all that, there's been some wise advice that has kind of um, been applied to like the internet, right? Don't believe everything you hear, right? It's pretty wise, pretty wise. Don't believe everything you hear. Try to corroborate, try to, you know, validate and fact check and all that stuff. But because there's so much there's so much skeptical stuff and there's so much misinformation. We kind of take don't, don't believe everything you hear and we kind of turn it into don't believe anything you hear. And we're skeptical of everything, including the Word of God. There are Christians who think that the Word of God is invalid, obsolete. It doesn't matter to us today. That was for then. Like, that's not God's desire for us. This is how, this is from God's mouth, like his own mouth, his own words to his children about who he is and what he cares about. We should believe what it says. It's vital that that children be able to believe the words that come out of their parents' mouth, right? It's vital vital as a children of God, as, as a child of God, that you believe the things that come out of the mouth of God. Because believing his word leads to trusting his word. And that's the third lesson we can learn from the the woman with the issue of blood in Mark 5. The first lesson was knowing the word of God. The second lesson is believing the word of God. The third lesson today that we can learn from the woman with the issue of blood is trusting the word of God. Trusting the word of God. Psalm 119, 41 and 42 say this, Lord, give me your unfailing love, the salvation that you promised me. Then I can answer those who taunt me, for I trust in your word. It doesn't say, then I can, th- then I can answer those who taunt me, for I know your word. It doesn't say that. Then I can answer those who taught me, because I believe your word. I trust your word. So there's a difference between knowing, believing, and trusting. There's, there's, it's like tears, right? There's, there's a difference. We have to be able to trust the word of God. If this book that we hold so dear, like if it is what it claims to be, if it's the living word of God, then then we must realize that in order to receive a miracle from God, like one of the steps is to trust his words completely. If we're going to receive miracles from God, we have to be able to trust what he says. We have to. It's non-negotiable. I'm not necessarily talking about like trusting that Jesus rose from the dead, right? Though that's foundational to our faith. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about in this moment. I'm not necessarily talking about trusting that God forgives our sins when we repent. That's not what I'm talking about in this moment. I'm talking about that even when you don't feel like it, God is with you. I'm talking about even when you're, you're experiencing that abuse, that God has never left your side. Even when you're financially in dire straits, like God has got you. He's in control. Trusting that, that's, that's what I'm talking about in this moment. Trusting the word of God. Trusting that, that he's never going to just leave you high and dry. Do you trust his word when it says, I'll never leave you or forsake you? I'll never give up on you. I'm with you always. Do you trust his word when he says, revenge is mine? Or are you plotting your revenge? We all have, we all have people we disagree with myself included. We all have people that maybe we dislike for one reason or another. We all have people that we'd like to get back, right? Do you trust his word when he says revenge is mine, that you don't have to worry about it? Do you trust his word uh, when it comes to provision? Do you trust his word when it seems to teach the exact opposite values of what the world teaches? Do you trust his word? 
Are you, are you willing to stand on it even when it's not the popular thing to do? People, people, Christians say, there are some Christians that say, well, the Bible was written thousands of years ago. That's for that back then, right? Like, we've evolved now as people. We don't need those anymore. Like, people who say things like that and people who believe things like that have an incredible misunderstanding of what the Bible is and how, like, what it's communicating. Like, the Word of God could not be more relevant today. It is relevant to everything. I believe every issue we will ever face, the Bible has the answer. I believe that. And, and I've, I've said that before, like, <laughs> just really quickly, when I was a youth pastor, I used to say that every time I preached, like, I believe every answer to every problem we'll ever have is found in Scripture. And one of my students was like, what about aliens? So I'm like, that's not a real problem, you know, shut up. <laughs> you know, so... Um, Anyways, like any, any issue we're ever going to go through, f- the financial stuff, the relational stuff, the you know, whatever, like peace, like justice, all that stuff, any, any of those real life issues, the Bible has the answer for us. If you're a child of God, the answer is found in his word. Do you trust the word of God even when you don't fully understand it? I believe this is what scripture means when it says his ways are higher than my ways. And his, his thoughts are, are higher than my thoughts. It means I trust you. I trust your words even when I don't understand it. Can a pastor be a Raiders fan? His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts, right? The Cowboys is America's team. I think the Raiders are God's team. I'm just, it's not too late for you guys. There is redemption. <laughs> touche, touche. In Psalm 46, the psalmist quotes God saying, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I believe that this is a trust statement. God is saying, you don't have to work so hard. Trust me. Trust what I say. I'm trustworthy. This is a trust statement imploring the children of God to trust that he is who he says he is and he's going to do everything he said he would do. I think one thing we have trouble uh, trusting is the grace of God. I think we have trouble trusting the grace of God and trusting that it is actually a gift. Now, when we first give our lives to Christ, like we're all about the grace, right? Yes, God, you have saved me by your grace and I'm rescued, I'm free, I'm redeemed, all that stuff, right? But as we grow in our relationship with God, for some reason, we think, we stop trusting that grace is a gift and we think we have to earn it. We we think we have to meet some arbitrary standard to stay in his grace. That's a lack of trust, it's a lack of trust in what his word says. We have to know his word. Not just know his word, we have to believe his word. And not just know and believe, we have to trust his word. It's imperative. Knowing the word of God, believing the word of God, trusting the word, word of God. These are the lessons that we can learn from the woman with the issue of blood in Mark chapter 5. And this, this is why it's so important to develop the spiritual discipline of, of engaging the scriptures, studying the scriptures, knowing the scriptures so that we can trust them. Worship team, you can come to the platform. Can you imagine, imagine for a second what your life would be like 
if you truly trusted in God's word with your whole heart? Imagine it for a second. Just pause, time out. Imagine what, it, what your life would be like if you 100% trusted his word and, and nothing else. If you didn't, what if you didn't have to worry about how your kids are going to turn out because you trust God's word and you believe it when it says train up a child in the way that he should go. When he's old, he will not, it will not depart from him. Like, what if we actually trusted that? Or just to be real for a minute, like, that's one of my greatest fears is that, like, my sons are going to develop, like, a drug habit one day or that they're going to have a, like, cold and, like, callous heart or, like, even bigger picture, it's one of my greatest fears that my sons are not going to be in heaven with me one day. What if they don't accept Jesus? I have to trust the word of God when it says that he's pursuing every heart. He draws the hearts of men to himself and he wants to see them in heaven more than I do. So I have to, I can only do so much and then I have to let go and trust God, trust what he says, trust who he is. What if you didn't have to worry about providing because you believe, you believe what Matthew 26, 6, 26 says. I think it's a slide. It says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? What if we actually believed that God would take care of our needs, that God would meet our needs instead of striving so hard to, to be in control to make sure we have everything we need and want? Now, I'm not saying cease working. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying stop going to work. I'm not saying quit your job or anything like that. I'm saying like, what if we didn't need to like take control of that area to try to make sure we're taken care of because we believe that our heavenly father who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, anything, right? Like the, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He, provision is from him anyways. Like what if we actually believed those things and we trusted like, man, God's gonna take care of me. Man, I, I owe money on my taxes this year. I don't know where I'm gonna get it. Man, I just, I trust God. What if? How, how would things be different for you? Can you imagine what God would do in, in and through this church if we decided to fully trust his word? What, what could God do in, in our church? What could God do through our church if we fully trusted his word? No matter the circumstance, no matter the task, you trust what God says and, and he has your back. Man, I think a, chur a church with faith like that, a church with trust like that would be unstoppable. There's no limit to the people we could reach. There's no limit to the, the ministers we could raise up and send out. Like, we could change the city for real. I'm not just blowing smoke. Like, I believe we could change the city, and I believe it starts with trusting the Word of God. But we have to know it. We have to believe it. And then we can trust it. Let me pray for you this morning. God, thank you. Thank you for your Word. Thank you that it's a gift from your heart. I pray, God, for everybody here that we would begin to see it as a gift from you and not a burden, not a, not a, a task to complete, but a love letter from your heart to us. I pray, God, for anybody who may be struggling in this area of, of engaging your word, God, that you would begin to, to open our hearts today that you would, you would change our, 
our eyes to see it differently. You would open our ears to hear it differently. God, I believe, I believe your word is, is still relevant today. And I just pray, um, I pray for, for favor right now, God, in the name of Jesus, for, for each one of us in this area of, of engaging your word as a, a spiritual discipline. I pray, God, that, that you would draw us nearer and nearer to you as we engage it more and more. Thank you, God. Thank you, God keeping uh, heads bowed and eyes closed. If, if you're here today and, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, none of this is going to make sense to you. N none of this thing about the word is really going to matter to you. But today could be the day where, where you turn to him and you say, God, I want to be able to trust what you say. I want to be able to believe what you say. Today could be the day where you say yes to him and become a part of his family. Today could be the day where you allow Jesus to rescue you from darkness and adopt you into his family. If that's you today, you don't know Jesus, you don't, you don't have a relationship with him, or maybe you did uh, at one point, but you walked away for whatever reason. If that's you and you want to say yes to him, at the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so that I can know who I'm praying with. There's nothing mystical or magical about raising your hand. I just, I'm just trying to know who I'm praying with. So if that's you, you say, I, Pastor Ryan, I want to give my life to Jesus today. At the count of three, raise your hand. One, God loves you so much. Two, it's time for you to come home to him. Three, if that's you right now, raise your hand. Raise it high so I can know who I'm praying with. Okay, this is what I want to do. I want to lead us in a prayer, um, and I'm going to ask everybody in the house to repeat after me so that nobody feels singled out, nobody feels like uh, picked on or anything like that. Uh, it's just a prayer to, to invite Christ to be the Lord of your life, and this is the beginning. This is, this is the beginning of a brand new life with Christ. So repeat after me, say, Heavenly Father, today I recognize that I'm a sinner and I need you to save me. I want to believe you. I want to trust you. But I need more faith. Increase my faith by your Spirit. Help me to submit to you more and more. I believe that you rose from the dead and I'm proclaiming that you're Lord of my life. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Can we give it up for those who prayed that prayer today? That's awesome. If you prayed that prayer to put your trust in Jesus, to put your faith in Jesus, welcome to the family of God. It's so awesome. If you're online and you prayed that prayer, Congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. I truly believe that. Um, we have gifts for you. If you did pray that prayer, we, we, we don't want you to just leave here and like 
and not have resources, we have resources for you uh, if you need them. Uh, Miss Teresa has them out at the welcome table with her team. Uh, so go see them if you, if you need some resources. But what we're going to do right now, um, we're going to respond a little bit differently. Um, and then we're going to receive communion. Um, so uh, we normally, what we normally do is we normally... Um, we normally just sing a song and have time of like prayer. But what I want to do is I want to engage three of the spiritual disciplines that we talked about right now. I want us to break up into groups of like three or four. And I want us to pray for each other in the area of trust. I want you to, to take a risk, be vulnerable about some areas in your relationship with God that you're having trouble or difficulty trusting in and have the people in your group pray for you. It could be family, it could be somebody else, it could be, you know, whatever. Like, but I want you to break up into groups of three or four and I want you to be vulnerable. Again, it's a risk, but let's step into, let's trust, let's trust that God's got us and let's, let's, let, pe let's let the people in our group know what areas we're struggling in for, uh, as far as trust goes and let's pray for each other. Let's go right now and then we can receive communion afterwards. So stand with me and, and break up into groups of three or four. Okay, I'll give you about 30 seconds to wrap up and then we're going to uh, observe communion. 30 seconds.
on the night that Jesus was betrayed and he was turned over to the, the Roman authorities, he had dinner with his disciples and he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he, as, as, as he is, he used it as a moment to coach his disciples, as a moment to, te- as a moment to teach. He took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body. This is symbolic of what I'm about to do for you. I'm about to, my body's about to be broken for you, for the remission of your sins. So whenever you do this, whenever you eat of this, remember me. This is about remembering. It's not, it's not just a, a, a religious token or a, 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 an exercise. It's, it's to remember what Christ did for us. And after that, he took the cup and, and like he did with the bread, he, he said, this, this is the blood of the new covenant. This is representative of the blood I'm about to spill for you. The blood that's gonna cover over all your sin. He said, when you drink of this cup, remember me. Remember what I did. Remember what, what it's about. Remember the mission I have for you. So this isn't just about us. This is about remembering those who aren't here yet. There are, there are some empty seats here. Seats where, where people belong who have yet to be found in the love of Christ. This is about remembering them too. Let's take a moment and let's just examine ourselves. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11 says that we shouldn't eat the bread and drink the cup without examining ourselves first. This is a time for us to get right with the Lord. So let's take a moment, just a quick moment to examine ourselves and repent before him. take the bread. Let's remember what he did for us. Let's partake right now of the bread. And as we drink the cup, let's remember that he did, he spilled his blood for the remission of all sins, not just my sin, the sin of everybody. Let's partake together of the cup. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the ability to to gather together and and worship together and um, just be community, be a, a church family. Thank you, God. God, I recognize that there are some parts of the world where where this isn't possible for us to openly gather together and worship you. And so I'm so grateful for the freedom that we have to be able to do that. Thank you, God. Thank you for your your body that you it was broken for us. Thank you for your blood that it was spilled for the remission of sin. Thank you, God.
we trust you, God, and we want to grow in our trust. Teach us how, in Jesus' name. Amen. Really quickly, really quickly, uh, a few next steps. Just a couple of things, and then we'll be, we'll be dismissed. The first next step, I will read my Bible 10 minutes each day this week. That might seem like a lot if you've never read it or you don't read it consistently. I promise you, if you make the commitment to engage it every day, the Spirit of God will move. He'll do something in your life. I will read my Bible 10 minutes each day. This week, I will memorize Joshua 1.8. Uh, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate it on a day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Uh, only then will you seek only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. And then finally, this week, I'll invite someone to join me in church. 86% of people who attend church attend because they were personally invited by somebody. Um, like I said, there are some empty seats here that could be filled by somebody you invite. So, um, yeah, let me say one last, one last prayer and then we can be dismissed. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen, amen, amen. Thanks for being here, everybody. Thanks for worshiping with us today. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.